This is a reminder you're listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show live and participate in the quiz and the prizes and all the other fun things that happen on Faith FM Breakfast Show, then simply download the Faith FM app available on Apple or Android platforms. And you're back with Encounter with God here on The Breakfast Show. We're about to have another clue for our quiz before we get into our Bible study of the day. Gemma, hit us with the next clue. Nobody's got this one yet, so get ready to call. The next clue for the What Number Am I quiz is the numbers of days each week the Israelites were allowed by God to collect manna. Okay, how many days of the week were they allowed by God to collect manna? That's a really important question right there. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Uh-oh. Because people say, you call the phone number out too fast. But if I do it slow all the time, people will say, <laughs> you are boring us to death with giving the phone number out. So what I want everyone to do right now is take out your phone and get it ready to save this number in your phone. Just save it under Faith FM or save it under Breakfast Show. Isn't that why we say it's 1-800-FAITH-FM? That way you can just spell out F-A-I-T-H-F-M. I know, I know, I <laughs> know. But anyway, whatever. Okay, so if you're driving, pull over to the side now. Okay, we're wait, waiting for them to stop. <laughs> waiting for them to stop. Stopping, stopping, stopping. Stop. Okay, all right. Here we go. 1-800-324-843, which as Gemma just said is 1-800-FAITH-FM. That is 1-800-324-843. Uh, there is a free copy of the U-Turn Health Book uh, available for you. Uh, you can also text us, write this one in as well, 491 669. And of course, if you've got the app, then you'll have all the contact details there anyway. Just get the Faith FM Australia app, which is the best way to listen to Faith FM radio. Nice. Yeah. Okay, so for how many days were the the Israelites allowed to gather manna or food in general? Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you know the answer, you now know what number to call us. Just... Hit your speed dial and you will be right here. And now that you've saved that in your phone and you've put your phone away, you can keep driving. We don't really driving. have speed now, dial now anymore, do we? Keep driving. Well, do you know what speed really? dial is? Oh, yes, I know what speed, <laughs> yes, I know what speed dial is. You can remember back in the day when there was a thing where you could have uh, like have six buttons. numbers saved in your phone <laughs> under uh, hot buttons. That's and... where you would just like hold down number one and then it would like automatically dial whichever number you've saved under number one. Uh huh. Right? That was, that was See, kind of how it. it worked. I got it. I got it. Back in the day. I know how it works. Do you know how to use a phone that has a, a round thing on, on the top of it? Like one of those ones that oh, you Oh, know. I think so. Where if it's like a number six, you've got to put your finger in on number six and then you like move it around to the top and then it like automatically spins back. Uh-huh. And then you just dial your Have number Have you ever like used that. one? Um, I had a toy one. <laughs> 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 I don't think I've ever used a real one. I had a toy one. My grandparents had one. So uh, I used millennials are hilarious. That one once, you know, I used their... It was a real one, okay? Like it was my grandparents' real phone, but it just ended up becoming our toy. Yep. Because they didn't use it anymore. That's it. My my grandparents. Oh wow! Here we go. My grandparents had a real phone, right? What? That that the, the style of phone All that the used way to have back then. Yeah, they, there was the style of ones that used to have the the dial on top of it. But my grandparents had one that had push buttons on top. What? Yeah, it was like super high tech. That's. It looked like a normal phone. Yeah. And like it should have had a round dial, but had push buttons instead. Hang on, wait. What year are we talking? Eighties. Okay. All right. Yeah, eighties. My, my my dad had on the wall as an antique, I've probably still got it somewhere, uh, a party line phone. 
<laughs> you know how the party line phone works, right? Not a clue. Well, you ring it and all of the phones that it's connected to ring at the same time. What? So you ring a certain number of rings so that the right person knows to pick it up. That's what? But anybody can pick it up. That's so weird. <laughs> so if your number was... I'm so confused. You know, That's so weird. Four, three, eight. You'd do four rings and then three rings and then eight oh. rings. And you would you would oh, listen in and you would know would... to pick it up, right? That's so I bad. think this is how it worked. Maybe somebody can correct me on this. And, uh, and then, of course, you'd pick it up and have a conversation with the person. But during that conversation, of course, you could probably hear a bunch of clicks where um, all the local gossips were like, oh, I wonder what Gemma is talking about. I wonder who Gemma's talking That's to. That's so weird. No. Pick it up, listen in. Okay. You know, give I'm thankful the, for give my Give it iPhone. 10 cents worth if they wanted to. Definitely thankful for my new Back iPhone. Back in the day, how it all worked. We have gotten way sidetracked here. We have Daniel chapter 6 <laughs> and we finished in verse 5. We did. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Oh, that's right. We argued because I think my translation is better. No, yours is lame. Yours is... <coughs> yeah, look, I can't say yours is lame yours because yours the, is pretty yours good. The, yours is the LT. <sighs> yes. The, the NLT, sorry. The NLT. The, the NL- new lame translation. Oh. Ah. <laughs> okay, verse six. verse six. Are you sure you want this translation, though? It's no, it's lame. terrible, but I will let you read it just so I can show the superiority of mine. Oh, okay. Fine, <laughs> fine. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. And verse 7 as well. We and 8. Anything else? And 9. Are you sure? Yeah. Is that work. it? Uh-huh. Okay, cool. We, we are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So, King Darius signed the law. Okay, now there's a couple of interesting things that uh, come out of this verse right here. First of all, I guess the... Well, where will we start? Let's start with the Persian constitution. Mm-hmm. We mentioned we've we've been mentioning the Persian deal and how it was a good deal, and how they would come to various nations or kingdoms or cities or fortresses and they would offer them the Persian deal. And part of the Persian deal was very good laws. Yes. One of the safeguards that they had in making good laws was this particular law within their constitution, which, when something was signed into law, it could not be changed. Hmm. Now, this has a number of faults to it, as we're going to see as we go through this particular um, What about contradictory story. laws? Like if you make one law that, you know, you have to do this oh, and, and this is such and a good question. there's another law that has like contradictory, how do you... This is, this is such a good question. Let me come back to that one. Okay. All right. We'll put a pin in that. We'll be put a pin in that one and remind me about it if I, forget, if I forget to come back to it. Okay. Okay, so this was the this was the to be able to do pull off the Persian deal successfully and to conquer the world without too much military conquest, they had to have good laws. Yeah. One of the problems was when you've got an emperor who can sign whatever he wants into law, hmm. the danger is that you can end up with frivolous laws. Yeah. That like, create problems for the nation. Yeah, because you just have heaps and heaps of laws for every little 
thing. Exactly. He's like, oh, this is annoying me today. Let me make this law. The idea behind the, this particular article in the Persian constitution that a law could not be changed, the idea behind this was that this was a safeguard method, a, make, a, a method to make you know, kings and rulers think twice before they signed in something into law and to ensure that they didn't create frivolous laws. Mm. You know, because if you can create any law you want, it's like, oh, I created this law. Oh, tomorrow I changed it. Hmm. You know, I just made this law so that I could catch you today. Uh, you know, and they could, you have got ultimate power. You can do all kinds of corrupt things. And so this was a part of showing to the world, we are not a corrupt nation. We don't write fri- frivolous laws. We don't just make, you know, random judgments based on how we feel on the day. We make good laws. Yeah. Because our laws, once they're made, they do not change. Now, a part of that comes from this concept of emperor worship. Down through history, emperor worship has been a thing. And it came from a number of different perspectives, one of them being that, generally speaking, in your ancient mystery religions, you had basically two levels of religion. You had the lower levels, which were incredibly superstitious, where they had multiple gods, and they appeased those gods in many different ways. Then you had the higher levels, uh, where people were just plain atheists. Hmm. Uh, so, for instance, if you look at Egyptian religion, you know, the higher levels of Egyptian religion, they were plain atheists. Yeah, true. They revered the power of nature, but they did not personify it. Hmm. So they revered and they recognized the power of nature. They recognized that nature to them was the most powerful thing that there was in the universe. They then took the power of nature and personified the power of nature for the plebs who were beneath them. And so everybody who was beneath them was, you know, worshipping gods who were persons. And sometimes they were good persons and sometimes they were bad persons and they lived lives very much like human lives. They would, they would uh, have anger and hatred and love and envy and they would kill some people and they would save some people and they would, you know, have affairs and have children, all these kinds of different things. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And so because the humans, sorry, because the gods were very, very human in the way that they acted, you know, if you read about the Greek gods, for instance, the Olympians and the Titans and how they interact with each other, uh, you find that they're having very human interactions. Yeah. And so then when you get the higher levels where people are actually atheists, it's not a big leap for them to go, you know what? I'd actually like to be one of these gods. And if I can pull that off, then that's going to be an extra layer of power that I have over my people. And so this would happen on occasions hmm. um, where they would actually do that. They'd go, yeah, you know what? This would be a smart thing for me to participate in at this particular time. Um, I'm going to um, you know, put myself forward as a god. And they would actually be worshipped as gods. Often there was the, uh, you know, for, 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 for centuries or millennia, there was the divine right of kings. Mm. In other words, if you were king, you were there because um, you were there by divine right and everybody had to obey you. Probably the relic that we have still left of that today is what we find in the Vatican. 
Oh, yeah, wow. So if you look at the Vatican today where the Pope can claim infallibility, of course, if you are infallible, then that makes you God. Hmm. Uh, because only God is infallible. Yeah, that's true. And because he can claim infallibility, he can make laws that cannot err. They cannot have fault in them. It's impossible for them to have fault. Therefore... They cannot change. Yeah, because if you're a faultless person and you make something, then the thing that you make isn't going to have any faults. Yeah. Now, of course, our current Pope Francis doesn't seem to be pushing that wheelbarrow particularly hard right now. Mm. Um, he certainly has not rescinded it in any way, shape or form. But he's possibly more willing than some of the other popes to admit that, yeah, they've made some mistakes in the past and maybe we could change this or maybe we could ease the rules there. Copping a lot of flack for it. But this is definitely, this is not just a medieval concept. This is an ancient concept. Yeah, true. Definitely does not belong in 2020. And so these laws, they kind of go together because if you are a divine being, if you are a god, and the reason that you are in power is because you are a god, then obviously you can't err. That means... Why would you change the laws? Changing the laws would just be a demonstration of the fact that you uh, had made a mistake and were not God. Oh, so that's why they couldn't change One of the reasons why they couldn't change One was so they didn't get frivolous laws. admitting defeat. That's right. The other is linking yourself with a divine being or, or, or presenting yourself, I should say, as a divine being. Right. Which means that, you know, any change of law would be an omission of the fact that you were not. Mm. And when we read this story, kind of goes down that path that, yes, Darius, you are not a divine being. Mm. Okay, so those are our two big sort of legal issues that come through here in relationship to uh, emperor worship and also in relationship to uh, the laws in the Medes and the Persians, which cannot change. Now, the other issue, of course, we do need to address is that some emperors actually did believe in the personification of the gods. You know, it wasn't just at the higher levels that everybody was an atheist, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, If you come down to Roman times, even late Roman times, you've got emperors like Diocletian, who grew up as a peasant and was incredibly superstitious Mm. um, and was very much a believer in the gods and a follower of omens and very much threatened by Christianity because of that. Because, you know, he'd conquered every other god that there was in the Roman world, but he'd not been able to conquer Christianity because how do you conquer Christianity? Christianity was an international religion. Where do you find the nation that is Christianity? Hmm. And so the next best thing that you can do is to persecute Christianity because it crosses all national boundaries, which no religion did up until that particular point. Um, And so you persecute it just to make sure that this new god, Jesus Christ, is not a threat to the Roman Empire. So basically what happened with the Roman Empire, when the Roman Empire was expanding, they would license the religions of the nations they conquered. And the reason they would do that is when they conquered a nation, let's say they conquered Greece, they licensed the Greek god. Well, actually, they worship Greek gods themselves, but that's beside the point. When they conquered Gaul, mm-hmm. they would... Um, they would license the religion of Gaul like, yes, you may worship your religion. You have a license to do so. And the reason they would do so is because we're not afraid of your gods. We've already conquered them. If you want to worship them, more fool you. You should come across to our gods, but you you want to keep worshipping those ones, more fool you. They're already conquered. They licensed the religion of Judaism, the worship of Yahweh, uh, because they had conquered the nation of 
Israel. Yeah, the so then Israel. the God of Israel didn't matter. Didn't matter. Yep. But Christianity comes along and Christianity is like, well, what nation does it belong to? Ooh, it doesn't have a So specific, how do you conquer that nation? Yeah, that's right, because they tied in which nation, which empire. Exactly. And their gods were on the same playing field. But if Christianity doesn't have a nation or empire that it's connected with, then how do you destroy that god? Uh-huh. Or how do, you, how, do you, how do you test your gods versus that god? Ooh. And so because it's just spread through the whole world and by the time, you know, Constantine comes to power who's, uh, well, by the time Diocletian was in power, you know, one in ten people in the empire were Christian. That's, that's massive. That's huge. That's huge. That is absolutely off the charts massive. And it's spread across every, every nation, every language. It's just everywhere. And so Diocletian was like, well, I can't go to war with that nation because that is not a nation. But he does persecute bitterly because he is superstitious and does actually believe in he's, he's not atheist in any way shape or form. Yep. It was interesting the more secular and the more atheist the emperors were the less they persecuted. Hmm. Yeah. It's a very strong argument in favor of secular government. I'm not opposed to Christian people. I think it's a positive thing when Christian people run secular government so long as they run it as secular government and yeah, keep church and state, state separate, separate from yep. each other. Yep. Always a disaster when they are mixed together. Anyway, so this is what's happening here in this passage. And they're like, you know what? We've just uh, conquered the city of Babylon. Um, this would be a good way of uniting the empire now um, behind you that, okay, for the next month, you know, we've got a whole bunch of um, gods that Nabonidus stole and we've got to return them to their various nations. But for the time being, let's just make everybody worship you. And for Darius, he's kind of like, why not? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. That's fine. As you do when you've got <laughs> ultimate power. It's like, yeah, why not? I'll take that, sure. I'll be a god for a month. Fun. Actually, it was likely that he was already considered to be a god because of the position that he held. Mm. Um, they were just restricting religious liberty to worship any other god for that period of one month. Yeah. Of 30 days. Okay, so this is going to become a problem for Daniel. And yesterday during question of the day, you know, the question was asked, you know, where was Daniel in in, uh, in chapter 3? Mm-hmm. The three worthies in the fiery furnace. Well, clearly he wasn't there. Where he was, we don't know, but clearly he wasn't there. But some people say, well, he was in chapter 6. No, well, you know, that's, we get the point. Um, and, and, and what you're going to find come through here is exactly the same test. And this time it's directly going to affect Daniel. But in a different way because, you know, Daniel has the opportunity here to save his life. Okay, so they are going to now try and pin the worship of Yahweh on Daniel sometime during this 30-month period. But how does somebody actually force you to worship? Can someone force you to worship? No, they can't. Yeah. So how are you going to collect evidence on this? It's not like Daniel is sacrificing lambs. There's no temple left. Hmm. Sacrifices have come to an end. How are they going to get cold, hard, prima facie evidence that Daniel is worshipping Yahweh during this period? They'd have to see him do it. They would have to see and to hear him do it, and you'd mm. have to have multiple people to testify of that fact. Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, you know, apart from the fact that we go to church 
once a week every Saturday, um, then how would people know who we worship? You know, when you're walking down the street, how does somebody look across and go, oh, I know who Gemma worships? Usually they don't. You can't, yeah. Usually they don't. There might be a few clues once you open your mouth and start to talk. They're like, oh, is this person a Christian? They sound like a Christian. <laughs> um, and so you would think, well, Daniel is there. There's no synagogues in Babylon. There's no temple in Babylon. You know, any worship that he does is going to be at his home. So how are they going to collect this evidence on him? Okay, this is what we kind of come back uh, and talk about. But right now, we need to take a song break and listen to Oh, Worship the King, the only one we should be worshipping. Oh, worship the King, our glorious above, and gratefully sing His power and His love, our shield
You're listening to Sharon and Shane with Oh Worship the King. This is The Breakfast Show, and we do not have another clue for our quiz because somebody has already got it. Who, who won? We have a winner. Congratulations, Meryl. You have won with the correct answer of six. It is the number six. Was there a clue coming up about 666? No. Do you, want to know, do you want to know what the next clue was anyway? Sure. What was it? The next clue was the chapter in Ephesians that describes the armor of God. Uh, fair enough. Thought the one before it was easier than that, but that's okay. Yeah, sometimes they're not in uh, order. How can you have how can you have the number six as a number of <laughs> what number am I and not have six six? And not there mention are. the mark of the beast. This this number is mentioned in triplicate in Revelation thirteen. There you go, that's a good clue. But six 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 is not the mark of the beast. What? It's an identifying mark of the beast. It's uh, not the mark okay, of the beast. Fine. The mark of the beast is something different associated with worship. Oh yeah, okay. Right, fine. Ah, subject for another day. Send me through a question for a question of the day, mate. <laughs> okay, where are we up to? We were talking about, um, yeah, we were we were talking about this law that was made. We got up to verse nine. We did. Okay, so we're just talking about the fact that you know Daniel doesn't have a temple, he doesn't have a synagogue, he doesn't really have much to worry about here. He worships at home, obviously, um, and so you know who's going to dob him in from his uh, from his family or from his close associates? Who you know, all he has to do is just more or less, you know, not invite anyone over during worship times while he's at home and he's in good shape, right? He could get away with it. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Piece of cake. Not. Why not? I don't know. Because something bad's going to happen. Okay. All right. Let's find out what bad thing happens. Verse 10, please. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just had just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Thank you. So what does he do? Goes home and prays. Prays? How? Where? With the window open facing Jerusalem. Oops. Oops. Why would you do that? He always has done that. He's always done that, but why now? I mean, there's a law, don't do this. Why not just close the window? Uh, can God not hear through closed windows? Yes. Okay, so God can hear through closed windows. Yes. So then why not just close the window? Does 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 he have to face the temple in Jerusalem? Hmm. Is God sort of hovering over that temple somewhere? You know, maybe God's somewhere else in the universe and he could no, look out the other window? No, that doesn't work. So why does Daniel... I don't know. But I'm sure you do. do. This, <laughs> why does Daniel do this strange thing? He gets himself into trouble. I don't know. Okay, so there's a couple of things that uh, immediately come to mind. Daniel is somebody who out, throughout his life has been a consistent witness for the power of God. Yeah. Um, and he has consistently claimed that God is the only God and that God is all-powerful. Yeah, we know from previous chapters that he doesn't compromise on anything, the small right. things or the big things. And would, would, there, would he be compromising his worship if he prayed inside? No. No? He could even leave the window open, just sort of pray further back in the room somewhere out of sight, right? True. Okay, but throughout his entire life, he has proclaimed that Yahweh is the only God. Yes. And that Yahweh is all-powerful. Yes. The moment he closes his window, what public proclamation has he just made? Oh, okay. So it's he has more just about publicly a, yeah. proclaimed that Darius is more powerful than Yahweh because it looks like he's obeying the law, the new law. It doesn't, yeah, exactly. Okay. 
Exactly. And so Daniel is not going to do that. He's not going to bring a negative aspersion in any way, shape, or form on his God, Yahweh, who is the only God. Yeah, if he closes his window and doesn't do what he normally does, it looks like he's backed down. It's a, it's a, it would be... Okay, and think about this. He is in his 80s. Yeah. He's been doing this in Babylon for 60 years. Okay, yeah. He is the prime minister of Babylon. He is celebrity. You know, this is something that is super obvious. So people would notice. And imagine how fast the rumor would spread. Ooh. Daniel closed his window. Daniel is afraid of Darius. Daniel is more afraid of Darius than he is of Yahweh. Darius is more powerful than Yahweh. Oh, yeah. We learned wow. something new today. Yeah, so there was a lot actually at stake here. That would like dramatically shift the power it would. that Darius had. It would. Oof. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, the damage that it does to the reputation, because a lot of Yahweh has a massive reputation in Babylon and is highly favored amongst a lot of people. And there'd be a lot of people like, okay, that the, the primary proponent of Yahweh as God thinks Darius is more powerful. How does that make any sense? Mm. All right, so that's why Daniel leaves his window open and he continues to pray in that open window. Why does he pray towards Jerusalem and the temple that is in Jerusalem? I remember hearing a sermon about this once, but can I remember and tell you now? Not a clue. Let's turn our Bibles to somewhere. Somewhere in Chronicles. Okay, cool. Chronicles? Um, One or two Chronicles? I am trying to remember where it is. I've got to find this verse. Hmm. It is... I feel like he does it out of habit because it's something that he's always done. But why has he always done that? I've got no idea. There's actually a very specific reason why he has done this. i just got to find the passage. Why is it escaping me right now? This is chronic. Oh, man. Chronic when you can't find it in Chronicles. I thought it was right here. <laughs> yeah, it is right here. I was just in the wrong Chronicles. Oh, Gotta go. Job. Second Second Chronicles, chapter six. Second Chronicles, chapter six. Yes. What verse? Whoa, let's get some uh, context. Context. So if you start in verse one, this is what is happening. This is the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon built. True. One of the wonders of the ancient world in its time, a building of unsurpassed magnificence. And the Bible says that as a part of um, the dedication service that Solomon prays a prayer, down in verse 12, he stood, upon the, before, he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands. And, you know, the, 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 the prayer starts in verse 14. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven nor in the earth, which keep your covenant and show mercy to your servants that walk before you with all their hearts. And so he prays a really, really nice prayer. But then he comes down to, and he says, uh, you know, you need to listen to him because he kind of understands some things about human nature. And he says, you know, verse 22, if a man sin against his neighbor and an oath be laid upon him to make him swear and the oath come you know, before you and altar and before that house, then hear from heaven and judge your servants uh, by requiting the wicked, by recompensing his way upon his own head and by justifying the righteous, by giving him according to his righteousness. And so he says, he starts off by saying, you know, if somebody sins against somebody else, 
Show them mercy because of this house. Uh, and then he works down through a whole bunch of different sins. And so this is a long chapter, as you will notice. Mm. There are 42 verses in the chapter. Um, why don't you read for us verse 36? Verse 36. If they sin against you, and who has never sinned, you might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to a foreign land far away or near. Ah, oh, did that happen? Did, well, yeah. It did. Yeah. So Solomon kind of, kind of sees what's happening. If they sin against you, because everyone sins, but you get angry with them and, and they're taken captive, then what? Verse 37. But in the land of exile, they might turn to you in repentance and pray, we have sinned, done evil, and acted wickedly. Okay. So they get to, and this is what happened once again, they get to Babylon and they suddenly realized, we've sinned. We need to repent. My bad. Then what should they do? If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul in the land of their captivity and pray toward the land you gave to their ancestors, towards this city you have chosen, and towards this temple I have built to honor your name. So Solomon says, if they're taken captive and they end up in this foreign land because of the sin that they have committed, and then they repent of their sins and they pray... Whereabouts, what direction are they? How are they supposed to pray? Pray towards the temple. Towards the temple, towards the city, towards the land. Then what is God to do in verse 39? Then hear their prayers and their petitions from heaven where you live and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Okay, so we can stop right there for a moment. So this is what's happened hundreds and hundreds of years previously, but we find that Daniel is a very keen student of the Bible. Yes. And so he is praying towards Jerusalem, towards Israel, towards Judah, towards the temple every single day for the restoration of his people because he knows that God will answer this prayer. This is a prayer that Solomon had prayed so long before. This is what Daniel is praying, and this is why he's praying it. We have a record of the prayer that Daniel prayed in his open window at this particular time. Did you know that? No. We're going to read it tomorrow. Ooh. You'll have to be here. Ooh. Right now we're going to listen to Alison Krauss and Union Station with A Living Prayer.
To Faith FM, positively different radio. You're a teacher. Woohoo! But you want a bit more. Hmm. You are ready to upskill. Maybe you're eyeing off head of department, education director, or even principal. Further your career by studying a Master of Education at Avondale University College. Just think of the difference you're making now. And think of the difference you could make with a Master of Education. Avondale University College. Called to be an educator? Called to be at Avondale. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to deserve even one of the pleasures I've known? Tell me, Lord, what did I ever do that was worth loving you or the kindness you've shown?
I can show someone else what I've been through myself on my way. Welcome back, everybody. That was CC Winnens with Why Me. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. And uh, Gemma, why don't you give us another clue for our... Let's let's, let's do a a quiz clue and see if somebody can snap one up off one clue right at the end of the show. Okay, wait, I want to pick a good one. Okay, here we go. The Lord proclaimed to those who insult and reproach his people will be devoured by this creature. So what creature am I? Okay. Read that one again. <laughs> the, Lord, the Lord proclaimed that those who insult and reproach his people will be devoured by this creature. I have no idea. <gasps> Ooh. I'll give you double prizes if you can snap that one in the last uh, couple of minutes of the show. You've got, let me see here, you've got about 13 minutes to come up with an answer. It's possible. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. All right, so question of the day is, where did Jesus live? Gemma, where did Jesus live? What continent? I was just going to say Nazareth. No, that's a lame answer. Come on. What? What continent did Jesus live on? I don't know. What, uh, what, would we, what, what, what kind of region would we call him? Would we call him... I mean, it's the Middle East now, but like, I don't know. Jesus how... comes from Asia. Well, yeah. Jesus is Asian. Well, well, yeah, but like, no. <laughs> no, he is. Well, I mean. Jesus is Asian. Yes, because Middle East is part of Asia, which is part, yeah. Well, yeah, but that sounds weird. Nobody ever says <laughs> Jesus is Asian. Like, when you ask me what continent, I'm like, well, the obvious answer here is Asia, but I don't want to say that because that's I love, weird. I love telling Chinese people this because they, <sighs> they're like, oh, why isn't, you know, China was such a great empire for like 4,000 years. Why wasn't China mentioned, you know, why, why isn't Asia mentioned in the Bible? And I'm like, um, Jesus was Asian? <laughs> Have you ever noticed the Asian games and the Israelis play in the Asian games? <laughs> That's So Jesus was Asian? Yes. We but, always think that. But it doesn't we, sound right. <laughs> how, many, how many paintings have you seen he of Jesus where, he is, okay. where, where Jesus is not Middle Eastern, he's not Asian, he uh. is um, Caucasian? Oh, many. So many. Do you ever see a, a Middle Eastern Jesus? No. Very rarely, eh? Occasionally you might. Occasionally you might. But it's pretty rare that you see a Middle Eastern Jesus. And that's kind of because um, Jesus um, did his ministry during the Roman era. And the Roman era was very Western-centric, so very European-centric. So your previous empires were very Asian-centric. Babylon and Persia, of course, were Asian empires. The Greeks, you know, they came across and they conquered um, you know, the whole Persian Babylonian Empire. And, of course, as a result of that, they um, 
they you know that they were you know very much an asian part of the world even though they were european but yeah jesus was asian but he didn't live his entire life in asia no where else did he live what other continent Jesus lived some of his life on, an, on another continent. I'm going to hazard a guess and say Europe. Yeah, but because... you would be wrong. <laughs> well, it kind of, well, it kind of been Australia or Antarctica. So, I don't know. What else? Africa. Where? Oh, hang on. Jesus spent three years in Africa. Let me use my brain for a second. What? The Bible says that Jesus spent three years in Africa. When? When he was a young child. When? Under the age of two. When? Okay, so when Herod where? tried, oh, where, okay. when Herod tried to destroy Jesus, he killed everybody under the age of two in the city of Bethlehem. Right? Yes. Jesus and his family escaped to Africa. What? Because Egypt is a part of Africa, and they spent three years in Egypt before they came back. He grew up as a exile, uh, as an immigrant in Africa. Wow. There's always something new to learn, isn't there? Okay, so... Like, I mean, like, I knew that, but I just... My brain never thinks that, oh, yeah, Jesus <laughs> spent time in Africa or Jesus is Asian. My brain just doesn't go there. But, like, I knew that, but, like, that's so weird. Why do we... It is. It is. We it's never like, talk about like that. It's like when I went to Egypt the first time and I've sent a text message home to uh, everybody, you know, that was on, sort of on the family list. And I'm like, yay, I'm in Africa. And everyone's like, what? Africa? We didn't know you were going to Africa. What are you doing in Africa? Geography lesson. Egypt is in Africa. Absolutely. Wow. Egyptians are Africans. So there you go. Jesus lived in Africa and Asia. That's where he came from. He was not European. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> this is Anna Beden with Genuine Love. do 
Listen to the breakfast show on Faith FM. We have come to the end of that show, which means that we're about to give a a gift away for free. But before we do, we were going to give one more clue for our quiz. We were because it's a bit of a weird one. Oh, that's a weird one, all right? After being struck down by an angel, Herod's body was eaten by these. Oh, really? Oh, he, did he did he get it? Uh you got it. Yep. Yes. Well done. Okay. All right. So, um, that's a what creature? What kind of critter? Anyway, what are we giving away? Today it is Roger Morneau's Incredible Answers to Prayer. We've been talking a lot about prayer in this Bible study. And uh, yeah, the, the book here, Incredible Answers to Prayer. Tell the us all about it. Incredible Power of Prayer. Oh, Power. There you go. I read it wrong. But I'm sure it's got answers to prayer too. It does. So there you go. Lots of them. There you go. I've read this book. It is fantastic. This was a man who was involved in Deeply involved in spiritualism and the occult, he was actually a worshipper of Satan himself. Oh, wow. Really? Well, he dabbled in it, I should say. Yeah. He came uh, very close to becoming a part of that uh, organization. And he saw the supernatural power of Satan. So when he became a Christian, he's like, well, God has far more supernatural power than Satan does. And so we should expect uh, far greater um, supernatural events as a result of serving God. And so he became a prayer warrior for his entire life. So you can read his book, his story right here with incredible power of prayer. Don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Sweetest days of childhood, playing in the deep woods. Stomping through the creek and feeling oh so much alive Camping in the forest, we join the cricket chorus And hum our songs of gratitude around a crackling fire And out here in the stillness, I found my house of worship With column trees and canopy of stars Cathedral. It was beneath the blue skies I ran down to be baptized I felt the river wash me clean And dried beneath the sun and To this day believing When wide awake or dreaming 
I scan the ancient sky and understand where I belong. Cause out here in the stillness, I find my house of worship with column trees and canopy of stars. Here in my cathedral. This is where I find my soul, out where holy men of old first knelt in soul and thanked you for the rain. Wrote the psalms that fill the air, herald angels sang their prayer out beneath your darling constellations. So let me often wander. Robin's song and thunder Surrounding me with stained glass leaves That change with every breeze And out here in the stillness I find my house of worship With column trees and canopy of stars Here in my cathedral This, this is, is Ali and Leighton. God bless. Thanks for listening to Faith FM. Please don't wash my feet. Wash me all Selfishness is such a hold on me